After Succession's penultimate episode ever, the final showdown is coming into sight. It's Kendall versus Shiv for the crown, while Roman completes his spectacular self-destructive fall. A day after the U.S. election, the Roys prepare for Logan Roy's funeral, and the mood is straight out of a Shakespearean history play. Nearing the climax, when the plotting villains fear the tides of consequences coming for them and just might be cracking under the pressure. We open on the Roy siblings in ultra-high rises, in these towers where they're literally far above the rest of the population, removed from the real-world consequences of their actions. In this case, their choice to declare fascist Jared Mencken president on ATN News before all the votes are counted, thus giving Mencken's claim legitimacy and potentially even making him the president. It's a truly Shakespearean level of villainy. They've altered the course of history in a direction that, given Mencken's ideology and the documented violence of his supporters, endangers people and is already creating scary conflicts around the country. So like in history plays like Richard III or Macbeth, where an ambitious king seizes power through violence, the Roys have installed a false king. And as a result, the world is out of order, breeding chaos and unease. Typically, the Roy siblings have been able to remain fairly insulated in their towers, yet this time we feel the world intruding on them more than ever. As ATN news screens report on intense-looking clashes, the isolation of these out-of-touch glass boxes in the sky feels increasingly eerie. There's a sense of vulnerability and danger, and a palpable anxiety seizes the characters as the Roys descend to the street level for the funeral, where the protests are right next to them. When Ewan says of Logan, Sometime he decided not to try anymore, and it was a terrible shame. We see the same choice reflected in Kendall, who's completely given up trying to be a decent human being and is rapidly becoming the worst version of his father. As the battle lines are drawn, it's looking like Kendall is in the best position to be the heir apparent because he's becoming ever more like his dad by the minute. He's driving his family away, making business decisions that negatively impact his kids personally, spending apparently no time with them, yet deciding to try to get custody so he'll get a win through his money and power, again repeating his dad's parenting playbook. He's lost his assistant, Jess, who was evidently there for the other high-minded Kendall, and is mastering the tyrant's art of building a team of obedient underlings that he owns. You'll be my dog, but the scraps from the table will be millions. Woof. Woof. He's controlling his brother Roman through degrading and shaming him. That's because you fucked it. Tell you were dad, tried to dad it. Holy shit, dude. Jesus Christ, yeah. man. But listen. Like, Take it easy. Just as his father did to him and others. I hear you bent for him. What? I what? I hear you bent for him. And he f***ed you. In his eulogy, the camera looks up at Kendall, emphasizing how powerful he now appears to his audience. His speech pushes aside Ewan's moral concerns and emphasizes instead his father's power and life force, riling up the crowd just as we saw Logan do on the ATN floor. You know, he had a vitality, a force, I mean, look at it, the lives and the livings and the things that he made. And the money, the money, the corpuscules of life gushing around this nation, this world. And earning the fascists' admiration. That was perfect. He seems to be completing his Henry IV Part II arc, as we've discussed, darkly but successfully turning into his dad. 
But just as it seems like Kendall has it wrapped up by copying the Logan way, Shiv makes a final play and gains the upper hand. Look at her. To a degree, this showdown might feel like a clash between two different approaches or ideologies. Kendall's Logan-like dark way versus Shiv's potentially a little more enlightened way. After all, she goes more honest in her eulogy, speaking, importantly, to Logan's woman problem, which has become ever more apparent the more we've seen of Waystar Royco. He was hard on women. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't fit a whole woman in his head. And in the previous episode, Shiv seemed to actually care about not throwing the country away to a fascist candidate who hadn't won. I have a concern for the state of the republic and, and pluralism wow. yeah. and, uh, and the I'm future snoring. of this country, so and it, it, it is Such real. Yet even then, it was in her personal interest to care, because she knew Mencken would block the deal with Matson, who's her ally. And in this episode, when she has a chance of winning Mencken's favor to push through the Matson deal and become American CEO, she eagerly throws away her principles. My feelings are irrelevant. Our audience loves Jared, and so I respect our audience. It's also striking how she reassures Matson that he doesn't have to worry about her being distracted by her coming baby because she'll be a terrible mother. It's gonna do what, 36 hours of maternity leave? emailing through Havana the Caesarean. Poor kid will never see her. This makes it pretty clear that, despite her speech, she still doesn't really care about making a different work culture for women. Like Kendall is explicitly making the choice to expose his daughter to the racism that Mencken is unleashing. You said that Daniel would win. Our daughter is well, not fine, nothing is fine. Shiv is more than willing to sacrifice her future child in order to become CEO. And they're both following in Logan's footsteps through that choice. The ink has in times of terrible crisis would sacrifice a child to the sun. In other ways, Shiv is acting more and more like her mom. As much as she hates and criticizes Caroline, she tells Tom she's adopting the same parenting plan. Oh, no, I'm not gonna see it. I'm just gonna do the family way. And though it may be a joke, there's little evidence that she has any other model in her head for how to mother. Meanwhile, we see a different shade to Caroline in the weirdly touching moment where she mends the rift between Logan's wife, Marcia, and his girlfriend, Carrie, by showing them a window into the past. Sally-Ann was my Carrie, so to speak. So water under the bridge now. It's a brief moment of beauty as all of Logan's former wives and girlfriends share the front row, united in acknowledging what this difficult man put them through. At least he won't grind his teeth tonight. <laughs> and in these scenes, we can see a connection between Shiv's and Caroline's mix of strengths and weaknesses. Caroline, like Shiv, is capable of brighter moments, and she's likewise insightful. She knows from a single glance that her daughter is pregnant. Oh, are you, um, okay? Whereas Shiv's brothers, who spend every day with her, are blindsided. What's comical is that Shiv says she plans to tell her mother that day, which is why she has to tell the guys. But we can infer that this really means Shiv knows her mother will be able to see it. Still, Caroline combines this insightfulness with a callous self-centeredness, reacting not with appropriate grandmotherly joy, but by saying, Didn't think to. Again, we see signs that this is the kind of mother Shiv will likely be. Obviously smart and able to see her kid clearly, but ultimately unable or unwilling to put the child's concerns over her own. She also seems to be successfully sidelining Tom, bringing him back into the fold, but getting him out of her way. When do you go out to the apartment? 
for a couple hours. Just, you know, sleep. The most important takeaway from all this is that Shiv is not determined to be different from her family. She too is about self-advancement at all costs, and she's thrown her lot in with Mankin. Roman, at the beginning, doesn't seem to feel the anxiety that's plaguing others. He's way up high like a balloon, believing he's pre-grieved and set up for success thanks to his in with Mankin. You, me, will go far. He's acting like a cartoon villain who feels nothing about his decision to screw the country and grossly trash talks his sister even during her pregnancy announcement. Is it mine? Yet, back on the ground and looking at his father's casket, under the pressure of having to follow his uncle's truthful speech, Roman yet again again loses his nerve in the moment. He's reduced to that little kid who feels inadequate, and after Kendall takes on the Logan role of shaming him, you f***ed it, but it's all right. And his embarrassment may be going viral. It's circulating. Oh, that's not right. The masochism in him takes over as he provokes the crowd to trample him. He's gone literally from the highest point in the sky to the lowest spot on the ground in a single episode. Yet it's really the completion of the self destruction we've seen Roman going through all season. He's turned away from Jerry and the better angel in himself. Roman thinks that by embracing his ego and surface sleazeball persona, he can bluster his way to power. Nothing matters. Dad's dead, and the country's just a big waiting to get Yet this hasn't worked because puffing himself up and acting cruel doesn't erase that other person in him, the one who feels small and inadequate, even more so the more he fakes being the big man. Sooner or later, however well we think we've killed ourselves off, Nothing matters, Ken. Our feelings return. I can't do the thing. I actually can't do that anymore. Logan's brother, Ewan, gives an amazingly truthful eulogy that finally delivers the answer to Logan's Citizen Kane-esque rosebud mystery, something we've seen hinted at before. And his sister, Rose. Ewan sheds light on why Logan became so closed off. After wartime trauma as a young kid, he believed he killed his sister through bringing polio home with him from school. He always believed that he brought home the polio with him, which took her. But this also isn't any excuse. Ewan goes on to speak honestly to what he believes Logan's impact really was. He was a man who has now and then darkened the skies a little, closed men's hearts. He was mean, and he made but a mean estimation of the world. And he fed a certain kind of meagerness in men. Perhaps he had to. This meagerness of the billionaire is illustrated through the gaudy mausoleum that no one really likes, but that Logan got for a steal at $5 million. It was a dot-com pet supply guy who built it, I believe. <laughs> but that guy decided against. And what Shiv quips is, Cat food Ozymandias. She's referencing the Shelley poem, also featured in Breaking Bad, about how the hubris of history's greats all comes to naught. A fearsome ruler's words, look on my works, ye mighty and despair, mean nothing after he's dead. And likewise, the scary Logan is now forever declawed. Intrigued to see how he gets out of this one. Kendall's eulogy puts an appealing, almost romantic spin on Logan and on brutish capitalism. He suggests that the desire for money inspires people to push harder and ultimately live more. The will to be and to be seen 
and to do that magnificent, awful force of him. But my God, I hope it's in me. Because if we can't match his vim, then God knows the future will be sluggish and gray. Shiv likewise shares that she felt this irresistible sun-like force in her father. He kept us outside, but he kept everyone outside. When he let you in, when the sun shone, it was warm. Yet Kendall's words about money inspiring the world to improve and empower ultimately feel like dressing up the darker reality we're seeing push in on the Roys and the truths that they might not be able to forever escape. The Roys seem to assume that they're still insulated in their high-rises from any bigger threat of losing power. Yet, as they fight for the top job as usual, they may also be missing the bigger picture. All the Roys have now placed their bets on Mingan. But what if they've truly pushed the country too far this time, and their false leader falls? In the Shakespeare history plays about villainous kings with ill-begotten crowns, like Richard III or Macbeth, the out-of-order world can't last and the great chain of being has to be restored. So maybe, at last, justice could be coming for the whole Roy family. There could even be a kind of mutual assured destruction in store, where everyone gets wiped out besides a few random survivors. You're an addendum of miscellaneous matters in pencil with a question mark. Or if not, the ending will likely drive home just how much the Roys have to sacrifice and destroy their kingdom in order to hang on to power. The succession finale's title is called With Open Eyes, taken from a John Berryman poem called Dream Song 29. The line goes, ghastly with open eyes, he attends, blind. It has Oedipal echoes, fitting for this drama that's all about daddy issues and a son who's striving to supplant his father. But it's also a reflection of how Kendall and the other siblings are both open-eyed about what they're doing and blind to so much of what their existence represents and accomplishes in the world. In episode 8, Kendall's last line drives home that he's willing to throw the country under a bus just so he can win a measly deal. Some people just can't cut a deal for grit. They're increasingly being confronted with this mirror of the damage they inflict, yet they continue to ignore this as they pursue power. Watching this season's reminders of exactly who the Roys really are and where they fit into our world, it's hard for us to really be rooting for any of them to come out on top. The question now is less who's gonna win, as much as how much everyone loses when this is the leadership the world is subjected to. That's the take. Click here to watch the video we think you'll love, or here to check out a whole playlist of awesome content. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications.